Hey, it's Nick. Thanks for listening to this podcast version of To a Certain Degree. This aired on August 10th, and it features some of my favorite small business owners in Central Florida, Jose Hanau, Kaylee Friend, Anthony Biggie Bencomo, and of course, Sam and Marco DeGeorge. You're going to hear from them in a second, but I just wanted to thank you again for listening, for subscribing. And if you could drop me a line, let me know what you think of the podcast. I'm really curious about this particular format. Um, Obviously, I would love to be live on WPRK again, but we're not at that stage quite yet. So do you like the clip show version of this? Do you like the hour long uh, format? Do Do you like me? I could use some validation is all I'm saying. Enjoy this episode. Hello, you are listening to A Certain Degree. I'm your host, Nick Jurgudiu. This is a special episode from our summer programming series on 91.5 FM. WPRK is an amazing assortment of content, music, and people, both on and off the air, and we're lucky to have them. Under normal circumstances, to a certain degree, would be live in the studio for an in-depth interview with someone from around Orlando who is doing something neat. Since we can't be live in the studio, you're going to hear from some amazing people who have been on the show in the past. Five people, in fact, all small business owners. They were, and still are, Jose Hanau of the Hanau Contemporary Center, Kaylee Friend of Kill em With Cuteness, Anthony Bencomo with Deli Fresh Threads, and Sam and Marco DeGeorge of Truthful Acting Studios and Theater on the Edge. Let's start with Kaylee. I've been a fan of her since I got my first pin, a Wookie Tiki one, it's hard to say, from her company, Kill em With Cuteness. I've actually been a fan since I saw the name of her company, which is amazing. How did you get making things? Join me in this long segue as I ask her. So I consume a lot of pop culture myself. And one of the reasons I do is because I'm always thinking, like, what if I'm in that situation? I need to know what to do. Okay. So what if I'm at a Christmas party in the Nakatomi Plaza and terrorists take over? Or what if I live in a small Indiana town where the Department of Energy is doing experiments on children? Or any of those scenarios, Mm -hmm. right? I need to know what to do. And I can't think on, you know, on the fly and try to come up with seat of my pants kind of things. And so that's why I watch a lot of stuff. Uh, what I like about it, too, is then I then understand most of the references or all of the references, <laughs> I think, on your site. So whether it's Liz Lemon or It's Always Sunny or Bob's Burgers or any of your stuff. Uh, so you do pins and patches and other pieces of flair. Mm-hmm. But where do you I've, come up with the ideas? So really you don't need to be current on any pop culture because like 90% of the stuff that I'm referencing is from like, you know, 20 years ago. Um, I don't know. I just, when this, when I first started doing this, I actually, the first pin that I did was the professor Snape. Yeah. And, um, and that is obviously current. I mean, current ish at least. Um, and that really came about because Alan Rickman had just died. And there wasn't one out there. Like, if you go to Universal still, they don't have a Professor Snape pin or any... Really, they don't have a lot with with Snape on it. And I mm-hmm. feel like maybe he had something to do with that, like not wanting to be in the theme park so much. So that was really how that got kicked off. And after that, it was mostly me being like, I want a pin with this on it, and no one else has done it yet, so I'm going to make it happen. Um, and I just pulled from the stuff that I like. Like... You know, the Beetlejuice cartoon was just something that was nostalgic to me as a kid, mm. you know, um, and really, obviously, the movie, too. But I went with the cartoon. Adam's Family is one of my favorite movies, you know, Empire Records, Little Shop of Horrors, all of those things that I'm referencing are just things that I like. And I'm, like, hoping that other people <laughs> want to buy it, too. And thankfully, it's worked out so far. But it's always a gamble, you know, like just hoping that other people like the stuff that I like. So you went out there, though, not necessarily thinking that you were going to create, like, a a side business. You were just... Yeah, I just was like, I want this, Mm. and I think other people will appreciate it. And I I started one at a time. You know, I started with the Snape pin and, um, you know, made a good profit from that. And the next one I did after that was Lydia and then Audrey, too. And 
you know, after that, I was able to do like two or three at a time, you know, and build up an inventory. But I didn't think it was going to be anything at all. You know, I didn't have like super high expectations. And it's been almost two years now. And I'm really shocked that I'm still, still going. Yeah. <laughs> so you're you're also not doing this. What I, what I like about uh, the maker movement and sort of this, I don't want to call it an Etsy sort of ethos, because I think that that is like, that's not a popular site anymore, I think for a lot of yeah. makers. But the idea that like, you're not looking to mass produce things, you're not looking to find that magic design, and then make a million of them. Right. And I think a lot of the consumers don't understand that, that I'm not, you know, ready, we have to order these 100 at a time. Right. Um, and I might not be ready to restock it if I want to do something new. You know what I mean? I'm not sitting here on like a ton of funds ready to just like produce every pin I've ever thought of in my head, you know? Um, so I'm not trying to like have my stuff sold at Urban Outfitters or something like that. Right, I mean, right. If that happened, that would be awesome. But it's not like my end game or really a goal at all. Well, if Urban Outfitters wanted it, they'd probably just steal it. Uh, you're not wrong about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think the, and I think that's what, and, and this is what, how I connected to it and why I go to Will's Affair and Big Bang Bazaar and some of these other shows is that I can connect one-on-one -on -one with the creative mind behind it, right? So I, I got the, I saw the Wookie Tiki pin mm -hmm. that you did. So that's, I've featured that on my Instagram a couple of times. And yeah. like, I liked it so much. I had to write you a letter afterwards telling you that I liked it. I, I didn't tell you this, but... I was actually nervous about that review because I was like, I hope this is something positive. When you wrote to me and you're like, I'm going to send you this analog Yelp review. And I was like, well, I hope it's good. Oh. <laughs> what if I got this thing in the mail that was like, what is this garbage you said? Why me? the, you know, <laughs> it has gotten me no attention <laughs> from anyone. Not enough likes on Why? my Instagram. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, it's fantastic. And again, I think that it's that, what I'm attracted to and what I really like about it is you're making these things not necessarily, uh, you know, for what for profit. Yes. Yeah. But not to, you know, create an empire or anything like that. Right. I mean, one of my favorite things is when I do, you know, local pop ups and stuff like that is seeing people get excited, like oh, my God, is that cousin it? Or, you know, like, is that from the Beetlejuice cartoon? And right. then I get to like you know, nerd out with them for a second. And that's really like the best part. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the Liz Lemon pennant, the mm -hmm. I want to go to there yes. is one of my favorite lines from that show. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it, it captures the, the Tina Fey writing and the humor of that show all in one. And it's so perfect. And that's another thing too. And I always know like who gets it and who doesn't, because a lot of people just walk up and they're like, Oh, I want to go there. And I'm like, that's not what it is. Like, <laughs> I never correct them. And I'm like, actually, it's I want to go to there. And it's uh, Liz Lemon. And right. <laughs> you need to get it right. I, I'm uh, sorry. I can't sell this to you <laughs> because you don't know the reference. Exactly. I would never do that. Um, I'm kind of a business person. I would, right, I would yeah. still take their money. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I appreciate that you get that. <laughs> it's legit my favorite show. Design. Was that part of your background? Is that something that you kind of fell into and you just happened to create one pin because you saw a need and then right. so you need more? I don't have a background in design at all. And actually, I'm going to say the first like half of the pins that I did was designed um, by a significant other that I was with. I was pitching him ideas and he was doing the designs. Hmm. And then I would say the second half of my inventory was done by me because... He showed me how to use the, you know, how to use Illustrator and whatever, which is cool because now I can do it myself. It's really awesome. Getting pins, uh, patches, other things done is, it doesn't seem like it's that difficult in terms of finding a manufacturer. And, mm -hmm. and I'm not talking about finding the right manufacturer and making sure the quality and all of that. Yeah. But I think what's difficult is uh, making, differentiating yourself in a really, really competitive I mean, in the sense pretty, that there's a lot. It's pretty oversaturated yeah. at this point. I mean, I when I started, I think was close to the peak of people, you know, opening pin shops and stuff like that. And 
I don't know where else you were going with that question, but it is hard to stand out. It's hard. It's also hard to try to decide on something that hasn't been done before. Right. Um, I do a lot of scouring the internet and hoping that I don't see something that I already have, you know, like ready to go. And there have been times where I had something in the works and someone came out with it right before I did and I had to stop, like stop production. Um, just because you don't want like, not necessarily bad blood, but you know, it's there, there puts a very clear competition there too. Like, which one are you going to buy? This one that I put out or this one, this other person just right. put out. Like it's, that is tough. Um, is that what you were going to ask me? <laughs> well, the the part of the uh, was going to suggest is that you've got even with the saturation that you're talking about or mm-hmm. the oversaturation, you've got an incredible following. So you got a lot of people following you on Instagram. It seems like you are doing pretty well on the site in terms of uh, being able to sell stuff out. Which I like that idea too because then you have a limited quantity. You want to go get it before it does sell out. Yeah. And then being able to move on to your next very thought through and thoughtful design. Right. Um, yeah, I feel like I, I lucked out when I, when I first started maybe a couple months in to me having my shop to where, you know, there, I don't really know if they have them so much anymore, but there were Instagram's, uh, Instagram pages dedicated to reposting for people that were trying to sell their pins. And so you would pay, you know, five or $10 for an ad to, to kind of get your name out there because yeah. they would have like 50 or 60,000 followers and you were guaranteed some you know, play off. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I did do that at the beginning. I was paying for ads because how else was anybody going to see what I had? And I fell into, um, a group of girls who all over, all over the country. And then there were some people who, um, lived in the UK and I think South Africa. Um, I got asked to be in this group of ladies that all had their own pin shops and we had our own Facebook page and own Instagram page. And, Somehow this, it was called Girl Pin Gang. It's not anymore. Mm-hmm. So I'm talking about it in the, in the past. Um, but, and talk about support, like, you know, help. Because a lot of us were pretty new. Some girls have been doing it for like three, four years, whatever. And um, that page grew enormously in maybe like six months. I think they had like 60 or 70,000 followers. And we would get rotating ads on there too. And that would help. And I didn't have to pay for that because I was part of the group. That's awesome. And yeah, that was probably the biggest thing that helped me and made me really appreciate the internet. Like it's it was insane because I don't promote anywhere else, like just solely on Instagram, which is my fault. I should do more. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. But I, I love the idea that, you know, there's a group of people getting together that are selling similar things, mm-hmm. but supporting each other. And I feel like not only do you see that online and in groups like that, but you see it at the shows that we do here in town yeah. and the artists that are here in town and the vendors where they're working with each other and trying to help each other out rather than doing this competitive, yeah. any kind of weird bullying sort of stuff. I just don't see that at some of the events. It wasn't like that at all. I mean, I think there was maybe like 40 girls in the group and maybe mm-hmm. half of us were active. And there was maybe like one person who would cause a problem, you know. And that's the the odds there are against us, I would think. A group of ladies that could get catty. But it was, you know, it helped me a lot. Everyone had really good advice. I actually um, went to Chicago twice for events that they put on and was able to go sell my stuff there. Like, that was super awesome. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it was really cool. That was actually the very first in-person event I did was last year in Chicago. Um, talk about Stress Fest 2016. Yeah, <laughs> having to go up there with all your stuff. Yeah, exactly. And then do a booth and you have no idea what's going to happen there. And not have a meltdown. Yeah. I mean, I made it. I didn't have one. <laughs> I went, I went again this year too, and it was, you know, it was really successful, really cool. I I saw the same people, um, not like, obviously the same vendors, mm-hmm. but the same customers come through and like remember me and like be really excited to be there. Or people like coming and be like, oh, I came just so I could get this from you, and I was like, that's so awesome. You know, I don't like, I just assume no one knows who I am, so it's cool when, I, when you get recognized in a different city. But it is that, so I've ordered some pins online, uh, but when I went to Megacon, for example, or Mm -hmm. I saw you at uh, one of the events, it's so much more fulfilling to talk to the person who made it, 
figure out why they made it, um, you know, share the humor in it as well mm -hmm. and just kind of laugh together over whatever it is that you made or maybe share a memory of whatever it is, whether it's Beetlejuice or something else. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely a nice, easy, common ground to have with people. You know, I feel like especially meeting a stranger, it, you, it's hard to find stuff to talk about. And so right. these silly little things make it easier to have a connection with people. And I really enjoy that. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, would you give or do you have any advice for somebody who wants to go out there and do something, maybe not pins, since mm -hmm. you've cornered the market on it, obviously, <laughs> but something else uh, that's out there on the creative side and go and do shows and uh, yeah. things of that nature? I mean, really all I have to say is to just go for it with the lack of a better term. I feel like a very cliche, like, cat poster. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> You know what I'm talking about, like hang yeah. in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, But yeah, just do it. If you are passionate about something or you, you feel like, you know, people are going to, even if it's, you know, one person is going to enjoy what you made, you know, and you're not having to make this super huge investment because of it, you know what I mean? You just do it. Like nine times out of 10, it's going to turn out better than you think it's going to. And that's what I've seen at least. And it's, this is coming from someone who has put maybe 50% effort in. And I've, if I tried a lot harder, I'd probably be a lot more successful. But yeah. Well then I, okay, so building on that though, if you did that, mm -hmm. would this be a job and would you enjoy it anymore? Um, it probably could be a job and I probably wouldn't enjoy it. <laughs> we talked the, about this earlier. Yeah, so we talked a little bit about this off air. One of the goals for this, I would imagine, is to make money, is to continue yeah. producing things, is to scratch a creative itch that you have. But it's not necessarily to uh, get rich. Yeah, it's it's kind of more of a hobby now. Um, and, you know, my friends will hear me complain about it, like, oh, I have to go home and, you know, pack some orders or whatever. But that's awesome that I get to go yeah. home, you know, that I, like, have orders to pack. And, and if they that, were your real friends, they would come over and help you. Oh, they do. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I've recruited people several times to come help me. Um, but it it is something that keeps me busy, probably busier than I would like. But, you know, it's, it, I don't know what I would do without it now. It's mm -hmm. just such an extension of my life. And, um, yeah, I... I don't want to have to rely on it. It is, I want it to stay like my fun extra side project yeah. that is fun to talk about. What about the business side of things? Like the, you know, setting up your LLC or corporation or whatever that was. Mm -hmm. And not, I don't want to, like, you don't have to step by step me through it. But yeah. that's what I'm trying to do next. So if you could, in, <laughs> in very great detail, tell me exactly. No, let's do that offline. But <laughs> is that part enjoyable for you as well? Because some people are, you know, they want to be the creative, but the business side really brings them down. Some people really enjoy the business side, but aren't on the creative side. Some people really like both. I do enjoy the business side of it. I think it takes a lot more for me to make moves like that. Um, like I kind of have to make myself do it. Like, all right, today I'm going to go register for my LLC. I, I actually remember the day I did it last year and being like, this was so easy why did I take so long to wait to do it? Basically with everything else ever in my life, you know, like why did I wait so long to do this? It was super easy. Um, but I do enjoy it and I do feel accomplished when I, you know, when I make moves like that, I can be very organized and I, I and I say can be because I'm usually not, but when I sit down and make it happen, you know, like I enjoy all that stuff. So I think I like both sides of it for sure. Um, I just can't do both at the same time. <laughs> right. I have to have like business days and creative right. days and they're very You don't separate. have an, a spreadsheet and illustrator open at the same time. Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're making a spreadsheet pen. Yes. Which I don't think would sell well. Probably. Yeah. Well, there's a big, <laughs> you know what? There's a big accounting market that you haven't thought of yet, potentially. Just saying. <laughs> Kaylee Friend from January 2018. If you want to listen to the full interview, please visit to a certain degree.com. And while you're on the interwebs, the winterwebs, check out killemwithcute.com. I caught up with Kaylee, who would normally be scheduling a million markets for the fall right now, but she is not. 
you'll be glad to know that she is considering a line of products based on the conversations she's had with her dog during quarantine. To quote her, these are strange times and the people should expect some strange new products. End quote. You're listening to A Certain Degree. This is a best of episode for our summer programming series. The focus today is small business and the drama, the comedy, the theater that it entails. When you do want to talk about theater and acting classes, I have to tell you, one to George just isn't enough. So here's two of them. Sam and Marco DeGeorge visited the WPRK studios back on April 30th, 2018, and we talked about the credentialing process for actors and the immersive theater experiences they provide. Let me ask you this because I, I find it fascinating, the idea of uh, sort of lifelong learning and yeah. always being in school and always training, I think is important. Um, and I think that's especially important. You know, we can talk about the... IT uh, culture where you have to go back for certifications and things like that. But I think for acting and people who want to be in theater, whether it's been your dream since you were little or it's something that you're going back to, this idea of going back for training uh, with professionals, with other people, though, that you can learn from, too, is really important. Yes, absolutely. So, and this is a studio that uh, you started, right, Marco? Or you helped start? Yeah, yeah. Um, I started it with uh, with my co-founder Rob Moss and uh, about 11 years ago now which wow time flies yep. <laughs> and uh, you, you know what you're just saying is you know I th in every technical pr profession you have to kind of re-up your certification or, or continue your education in the arts it never stops you're constantly having to evolve and learn and study. And I mean, these are for, you know, even for actors that have been in the industry 40 years, they're still learning new things and discovering new things because it's art. It's not technical where you learn something and you're, it's done. It's, it, it's an evolution because you're bringing yourself to it. Mm -hmm. So it's the type of training we offer and then that's offered all over is really, it, it doesn't matter if you're just starting out or if you've been in the industry for 20 years, it's always good to continue to learn, to continue to push yourself deeper, to find what's inside of you that then you can bring out as an artist. So how does that work as far as, you know, the, the way I kind of think of it is, is resumes, right? Like if you go and get a certification or you're, uh, you're, you're working somewhere and you go and get a, a diploma from somewhere, you've got that and you can put it on your resume. Mm -hmm. How does that work for actors or, you know, other people who are going to go in? Maybe there's a you get directors in your class who want to learn a little bit more about the acting side so they can direct yes. better or write better uh, if you're dealing with writers who are coming in. Mm -hmm. um, how does that work if you're going to, like, let's say you didn't graduate with a theater degree, if you did go to college, um, how does that work with a, a resume? How would somebody convey uh, that to a casting director or when they were going in for an audition? Well, for, for casting directors, they actually look for conservatory training. Okay. which means deep level training in a certain area, whether that's in a, a, a BFA program in a, in a university or there's these conservatories around the country that then offer this deeper le level training. Uh, we are a three-year conservatory. I mean, you can study for three years with us in the specific aspects of acting to get a deeper level process. And that that's looked highly upon on for actors and casting directors and directors and producers, especially in TV and film, uh, of looking at, they're looking for actors that are taking this seriously. They're looking for actors that, that they, they didn't just go to a weekend workshop one time and here I am, but that they are want saying, people who've committed have to trained, it. Yeah. Sure, that, that have trained to do this. The whole thing about a deep level process of acting is it's based in who you are mm -hmm. as a human being. But most people don't really know who they are as a human being, meaning we know who we our social aspect is. We know who we are out in the world. We know who we are when we're interacting with people, but we really don't know who we are underneath all of our social masks. And every character we ever play starts with our deepest essence underneath any social mask. And then we create new mask layers for the character. But those mask layers can't be put on top of our own social masks. So we have to take all of those off layer by layer. And it takes a long time to do that. It's a lot of therapy, actually. Yeah, it it's sounds very, like it's it. It's very therapeutic. Yeah. I would imagine, yeah. 
you know, uh, discovering who you are at your core and then allowing yourself to express that. Well, I think the other thing that probably happens is the the students in the class become very close as well. Yeah, there's there's a closeness that you end up having with your classmates that you don't have with almost anyone else in, in, in the world. I mean, mm -hmm. you become closer than even family or your closest friends because what you're when you get down to your core and you're allowing that vulnerability to surface and express and you're showing it, you're allowing others to see it, you there's a bond that that you get with them that uh, that you you it's very hard to find in this world. Yeah, our students are extremely close. Very nice. Which is awesome. So let's switch over and talk a little bit about theater on the edge. So this is something that you both whoop, whoop. started. Is that yeah. correct? Uh, and with uh, Alan Whitehead, which is our uh, third partner, which is actually one of our students. Oh, very yeah. nice. Yeah, yeah, he yeah he was one of our students, and and then uh, a couple years ago, yeah. we we just finished a showcase uh, at from Truthful Acting that, mm -hmm. that Alan was a part of, and we came off of it. It was very successful, and and we just were all talking, and it's like we should be doing this more. We should we should start a theater. And it was like all right. And that was the spark that just that led to to doing it. So and, finding the right people, finding the right moment. Yeah. And it was just that. Why was it important for you to start it? Let me ask you that sort of the, you, you know, you get that enthusiasm. You have this great show and you're like, oh, yeah, we could do this. But what was the, you know, when you started to step back and realize, okay, well, we got to file paperwork. We got to figure out what shows we're going to be doing. Why was it important for you to continue doing that? Why didn't you just like most of my ideas just give up on it and say, oh, gosh, that seems hard. I have to learn how to play guitar. So here's here's the interesting thing. Um, I have a philosophy that if I have if I have an idea, uh, if I if there's a spark of an idea that really excites me, I start doing it right away and figure it out later. And it's once I take the first step to start it. Now I have pressure on me to really figure it out. And so I actually, you know, we're early talking about the theater. It's like, let's do it. I took the next step and started going forward before I knew that there was paperwork to fill out. Yeah. Before I knew that there was what I need. I didn't know what I didn't know yet. So there, in that in that kind of naive bubble, which is ignorance is bliss. It's wonderful. Mm -hmm. I'm a, that's I, I'm always when I'm there, I take the step. And then once I know what I don't know, then it like scares the <laughs> heck out of me. But it really, I was I started it before we did all that. Uh, and then learned that, oh, a nonprofit, what does that mean? And then Alan helped us out. At, Alan's an attorney, so he helped us out figuring out all of that. Um, just figuring out that, oh, yeah, we have to actually choose shows. That's, this is interesting. And how do we do that? Um, Sam, you know, discovered, because when we our first show that we did, our first official show was a show called American Buffalo by David Mamet. And... It takes place in a 1975 uh, junk shop, Chicago junk shop. And so Sam was tasked to be the set designer. Yeah, Marco's like, we're going to do this show. You know, it's, 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 it takes place in Chicago, 1975 junk shop. Man, I took that and I ran with it. <laughs> I think that's where so, I like super discovered my passion for set yeah, design. Yeah, and this wasn't something you'd no, done before. No, it wasn't something that I sat and planned. It was like, okay, all right, so what does this mean? And I, I'm all about... Like I said, I have old school mentality, so I'm all about authenticity. And I created this junk shop and everything that was in that set was 1975 and prior. Like, and I was really hard on myself that it had to be that way. Just not because anyone said anything right. to me, but just for me, like my standards. Well, it, yeah. And it, you, you're trying to set a scene literally, yeah. and you're trying to take somebody and make sure that nothing is taking them out of it. Right. 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 So even though something might have been from 76, 77, 78, but you would have known that, they might have known that, that might have taken them out of the scenario that you're trying to put them in. Yeah. So the owner of the junk shop, uh, Donnie, I mean, it needs to be his junk shop, right? So this is these are things he's collected like throughout so many years. So he knows everything that's in there. So every little detail that was in there needed to be authentic yeah. to the time. And it was interesting it was because so much fun. The time frame, the the play takes place in seventy five, but it's a junk shop, meaning all of this stuff is actually from the forties. Yeah, I had and I had 30s. newspapers up on the walls that were from like nineteen hundred that I was able to find. 
Yeah, and well, you had stuff from from the Chicago World's Fair and yeah. the early 1900s. Yeah. It, was, it was it was amazing that the stuff that she was able to find, and we really didn't have a plan. It's like this was our thir- first really official show, and it was like, all right, well, it's it's theater, so we just need to build a, a set. And what Sam ended up creating was an actual environment, not a set. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting, and so it started us on this path of this thing called hyperrealism. Yeah which is, it's it's immersive theater. It, we want it to feel like we actually went, like if we did a show in here, right? It's like, well, this is an actual environment with actual stuff and the detail is, is very specific and we can just put a show. Well, we want our sets to be this detailed. Right. Yeah, that, that's my goal. It, it must feel real, mm-hmm. right? So if, if it's a 1975 junk shop, right? If it's a junk shop, yeah. it needs to look like a, a junk shop, not a set. That was made to look like a junk shop. Right. Like that's my goal. Just a painted piece of wood or something like that that in the background. That's my goal as a set designer is I don't want my sets to look like a set. Sam and Marco DeGeorge have a lot of proverbial irons and proverbial fires. Teaching, set design, parenting, to name a few. I don't want to imply that parenting comes third for them. If you're one of their kids, my apologies. Truthful Acting Studios is enrolling for its fall semester, which begins September 10th. Classes will be online via Zoom, and they are open to anyone ages 16 and up. Theater on the Edge remains closed for the time being, and they will remain closed for the rest of 2020. That stinks. Due to the intimate nature of their theater, it's just not feasible for them to try to open any sooner. You are listening to a certain degree on WPRK. WPRK, the best college radio station in the world. Where is college radio? Is it in our hearts? No, of course not. It's radio. It's mostly invisible waves that are passing through all body parts at the same time. To a certain degree, therefore, is inside you every Monday from 7 to 9 a.m. on your FM dial at 91.5 or streaming at WPRK.org. If you've been to the Hanau Contemporary Center, you know that it's something special. If you haven't, go now. We'll wait. Back? Then you're probably interested in how Jose Hanau came up with the idea for such an incredible space and about seeing the potential of a blank slate and building something for the community. So it's really, it's it's a total fluke. I had already given up on this whole creating a vibrant art space, like total fluke. This thing pops up and um, so I was like, all right, during the summer, uh, I'll help rehab this building. Um, it's my folks, my folks building. It's my father. My father's, uh, an amazing person. He's, a uh, he's one of those people that, that I guess we're working really hard to keep out of the States nowadays. Uh, he came over here and he didn't know the language, uh, just hardworking person, uh, highly ambitious and smart. Um, and just worked various jobs, worked in Rhode Island um, in, in a factory and uh, ended up kind of figuring out the whole used car thing and, and started out with a car and then started selling a couple of cars. And um, anyway, now he's he's a he's a business owner and, and uh, he had purchased this this building when the when the economy was down around like 2010. But it was a real piece of work, man. Was, this building was in was really in rough shape. Really rough shape. Yeah. And uh, he just bought it because it was really cheap. And it's part of like his his uh, his retirement plan. Like, I'm just going to rent out these properties. But it's not that easy. So the people that he was renting the property out to, you have this, you know, POS building. Um, and then they're they're renting it. They're only making it worse. Because this is the type of people that were renting it have uh, limited money. You know, they're they're not like serious business people. They're like tattoo people that are like, I'm gonna put up a tattoo tattoo company. But they go in there and they just party with their friends, and they uh, the building just kept getting worse and worse. So he called me while I was in school and he said, Hey, I need help rehabbing this building. Um, and this is when you were the fire academy sort yeah, of. Yeah, okay. yeah, it was really rough. It was really, really rough. And, and really, since that time, it's been like seventy 
70, 80 hour weeks for such a long time up until recently. Like I just, just hired help maybe like two or three months ago. Um, so back to a yeah, couple, sorry, a few years lost. ago in the summer, this was maybe three years ago, uh-huh. uh, your dad called. We'll fix it. Help me fix this up and we'll figure yeah, out what to do so I, next. I worked in the summer. I said, let me get through this semester and then I'll, I'll work. I'll, I'll help you through the summer. Um, so I started working with him through the summer and uh, kind of fell in love with the building. And that old idea started coming back into my mind. Like maybe, man, this it would be really cool to make something right here that's yeah that yeah. that's like cultural that gives this like tire shops around here and 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 auto zones and and whatever um but even in the city at large and just just to create like a like a a vibrant art space a lot of people go out and do the same things most people go out and do the same things in life and they're not happy you know they 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 um they get home and it's like um, I love, what do you want to do? Oh, I don't know. You know, like... Just go to the place that you know you're going to have the same experience because you don't want to take a chance yeah. on having a worse experience. Exactly. But then you're also not taking a chance on having a better experience. Or also you're just exhausted and you don't want to look stuff up, you know? Yeah. Like you get home and I just want to relax, you know? So um, to to give people an option to where they can go and see something that's different in a place where they're going to feel comfortable, a place that's that's clean and the people are good. Um, as far as like, you know, there's there's no there's never any uh, bad attitudes or egos in this place, no matter what the what the event is. We've had a couple of events that that we hosted for some promoters two, literally two in three years where it wasn't a good vibe. People yeah. people kind of like had bad attitudes and and those people never came back like they were never invited to uh to do anything at the center again but um it's kind of a it's it's a space where people can can go experience something new and whether they love it understand it or not they're going to remember it you know they they they're going to go home and it's going to be like a like like a good experience something that they that they remembered and the people are always going to be friendly um what was it about going back to when you're renovating the building? When did the, was there something specific that made the light bulb go off and you go, Hey, I kind of want to do something with this space. I want to create something. It was, it was the floors. So we had knocked down all the, all the walls. Um, we kind of like expanded the, uh, the bathrooms, tiled it. Everything was looking, everything was looking nice. Um, they had these carpets. It was like, it was like carpet, and then underneath the carpet was a layer of vinyl, and then underneath the, the vinyl was like the mastic, the glue, and then we didn't know what was underneath, but we just knew. We pulled up the carpet, and then we saw the vinyl, and knew we had to pull up the vinyl. So we pulled up the vinyl. Um, all the glue, the mastic is there. Pulled up all that mastic, and then it was just a concrete floor, and by chance, by like, man, when I tell you all of this is kind of like a, like a fluke, it, it all kind of happened by accident um this guy comes walking in the door and says i noticed you guys are working on this building uh i have a flooring company we polish up these concrete floors and uh i could tell he was he was looking for he's going door to door right now you know so he's going through tough times um and we didn't have much of a budget but i was like look this is how much money i have can you make it happen he was like i can make it happen uh, so, so, uh, polishing those floors for that biggest space normally would have been like a seven, eight, nine thousand dollar job. Um, I think I only paid him like twenty five hundred or or, or three thousand dollars, and and he polished up the floors. And then I started looking at it, and I was like, oh man, this would be like a really, this would be a really cool art space. Um, just from the floors, you saw him. You just saw from the your reflection in the floors, and you said, "I just from the floors, man. Just <laughs> just from the floors." I was like, "This this would be this would be a really." There was nothing there. It was we had stripped the walls. It was like it was it was a uh, uh, masonry walls, you know, yeah. it was a, the the cement block walls, and a floor. It was wide. It was a wide open space. 
Um, but it's like it, it's a blank canvas. It's a it was a blank canvas, really. Yeah. yeah. So that's what you saw. Yeah. So so uh, um, so I said, oh, let me reach out to some artists and see if see if I can do something. If I can do something, and and this place can generate some money, then I'll take the money that that comes into the building and and continue to rehab your building. If it works out, great. If it doesn't work out, then then I'll give you back a building that's you know better, better than it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and right off the bat, I, I linked up with this guy called Josh Garrick. He's a, a photographer, like a historic photographer. He goes out to Greece and, and, and shoots pictures of like the ruins out there and then uh, has them etched onto aluminum. And uh, I didn't know he was doing any of that. It was like another, another, total, another total freak accident here. I just wanted to talk to him because I... I knew that he was a curator for uh, Millennia Arts Gallery, which was the largest art gallery in the in the southeast United States. They had amazing art, um, amazing art uh, here in Orlando. And I knew he was a curator there, so I just wanted to ask him why the place closed down. Um, because Get some if, advice. Yeah, because yeah. if if they couldn't make it with with the level of talent that they had in Orlando, then then uh, uh, there's you know there's no there's no hope. So I went and I asked him, and, and then I basically found out that the person that was running it had stole like $3 million from, from the business, and that's why it closed down. So I was like, okay, I guess there is potential. So it's not the art necessarily. It's not the business of art. It's the yeah. actual people behind it sometimes. Yeah, and it, it, it's, not the, uh, it's not that there's not enough money for it in Orlando. Yeah. But I didn't know. O- Orlando's also one of the lowest paid uh, metropolises in the United States. It consistently rates... Um, in like the bottom five. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of tourism, so a lot of people do service jobs. Uh, but what I like about this in terms of your process is you're going in eyes wide open, mm-hmm. right? Like you're going in and doing the research. You're not taking a lot of risk on your like, let's try it out. Let's do yeah. it. This is obviously a passion of yours. Yeah. Right. This is something you wanted mm-hmm. to do. And until now, I didn't realize that it's it's for your family, right? The Hanau Contemporary Center is named for your family. Yeah. Uh, because it was really kind of your dad that helped you get your start in this. Mm-hmm. So that's very cool. Yeah. Hanau's a very common Colombian name. It's like Smith in Colombia, mm-hmm. but nobody knows it here. So it's really cool to kind of like put up that put up that flag, you know, and and, and it's a, it's like if you're if you're a hardcore American and, and you go to another country and you open up Smith's Nobody knows how to pronounce it, and they're like, "Smite, what Smite. is that?" <laughs> um, but yeah, it's really cool, and and I, I more than anything, I think it's something that that really uh, um, that really makes my my father proud, you know, to be able to see that he came over here. He used to like, he used to live in an efficiency in New York, and and uh, he said he would line up three chairs and pull out a drawer, and that's where he would put his feet. And he'd like cover himself up in newspapers because they didn't have uh, heat. So in the New York winters, he that's that's how he slept. He shared an efficiency with with, uh, with some guy, and he would just line up three chairs, and that was that was his bed. That was his bed, yeah, yeah. Um, so to go from that to like uh, um, to now being a business owner, and 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 uh, you know, he has this place, and and uh, uh, to be able to to you know. Get his get his son to basically pay his his retirement or a portion of his retirement, and it has his name on it. You know, and I think that's like, I think that's a, that's that's a cool thing for him. That's very cool. Well, let's leave it at that for now. Uh, first hour is already done, man. Oh yeah, cool. yeah. Nice. It goes by fast. Yeah, I'm a joy to talk to. Yeah, I don't think I've talked this much to anyone in years. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's see. We got another hour to go, so we're gonna we're gonna continue setting that record and set the record we did with Jose Hanau. That interview was from July sixteenth, twenty eighteen. The Hanau Contemporary Center's events are on hold right now, but they are working on improvements to the venue, so it will be better than ever when they welcome people back. Go to hanaucenter.com and find them on social media. And by the way, that's Hanau, H-E-N. AO. You may also want to visit to a certain degree.com to find full versions of all of these interviews. You can also subscribe wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Just search for to a certain degree. 
The fourth Earl of Sandwich passed away almost 230 years ago, but his namesake foodstuff lives on, especially in the work of Anthony Biggie Bencomo and Daily Fresh Threads. This episode was recorded on July 9th, 2018, and we covered everything from the greatest food delivery system ever imagined, the sandwich, to his sandwich-themed company, Deli Fresh Threads. In this excerpt, we cover a lot of bases, not only where his ideas come from, but how they get designed as well. Oh, and maybe we discuss a milestone. Good morning, my name is Nick. I'm here with a very, very special guest, a very special episode, 100th episode. Happy 100. Can't believe I got here. You know what they say about a podcast when it gets to 100. No, what do they say? It's been about two years, <laughs> especially if it's weekly. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> they might also like say it. it's kind of good, but I don't yeah, know. That's great, man. Uh, Biggie, there's a few things. Daily Fresh Threads, I want to get into it and talk a little bit about, you know, being an entrepreneur, being creative mm-hmm. and having sort of this very specific vision and brand. And I know we're going to, you know, I want to talk too about your college experience okay. and uh, how you got into sort of the t-shirt industry yeah. there. Cause I know a little bit of the backstory with that, but let's start out. I think one of the things that, you know, I, I come from this uh, agency world and I know a lot of graphic designers and, you know, in my head, somebody who does the level of design work that Delhi Fresh Threads does the person in charge would have to be a graphic designer. Yeah. But you're not. Not at all. So you have these visions of what you want and you work with graphic designers to get there. Yep. And I thought that was really compelling and interesting because I think that, again, you know, if you have this idea in your head of there's only one way to do things, you're, you may not be seeing the forest for the trees. So how does that, I guess, let's start out with the process. You come up with an idea for a shirt and you're not just throwing out like 20 ideas a week. This is a very controlled process that you're going through. What does that process look like? How do you find a graphic designer to sort of partner with? And then what is that working relationship like? Okay. So, yeah, so I, I have like a, you know, I've everyone's got like idea books or brainstorming books. And so what I'll, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll kind of come up with ideas. I'll doodle them. Um, it could be anything from anywhere I'm inspired. If I go on, like if I'm on a trip mm-hmm. or if I'm just kind of, I hear something, um, or heck even watching cartoons, it could be a variety of different things that kind of go through my head. And a, a lot of times what I'll tend to do is I'll tend to, you know, doodle what I, what I visualize, what I see. Um, and, and that's, I think to me, a lot of it is, and it's always, I've been doing this for five years now. So one of the things that I, what I did was when I, thought about the idea of wanting to create a brand and knowing that I needed graphic designers, I actually started reaching out to graphic designers that I appreciated, I enjoyed and asked them for tips and ideas. Um, Just kind of little things just to kind of, some of it's pretty, you know, pretty, I guess, pretty common sense. You know, like I I think artists want to know, they don't want you to, you know, I guess for me in my, in my case, I, what I did was I did a lot of research on different artists. Mm -hmm. And I kind of see what their style is. And obviously there's a certain, each artist has their own style and flavor for what they do. And so for me, when I go and I approach an artist, I usually, most of the time, I already have like a, I would call it like a doodle or a a vision of like, this is what I see. And, and then what I'll do is I'll then say, Hey, listen, I like your style. I want you to use, utilize your style. So I kind of want them to be able to have their flavor. I don't want them to just exactly give me what I'm doing. Um, But I do want to have like a certain vision of like, this is what I see. Can you make this, you know, let's work together and let's use your, how I like, how, like how I like your creative process. I like what you do and let's put my vision in, but this is what I see. So are you using different artists? Is it one artist mainly? Okay. So you go from artist artists, depending on what your vision is and who's where you feel like they most match. Correct. And and a lot of times I try to do that as much as possible. Lately I've been using, you know, kind of just a few um, artists kind of working with just because they've, they understand my brand. And that's the other thing. Like I think for me, a lot of times what I do is I don't just randomly approach people. Um, I do a lot of, I do a lot of interaction on like an Instagram or Twitter and just because I want them to be vetting them. Yes, exactly. I want to know who they are. Um, I want to get to, I want to get to know them. I want them to understand who I am and understand what my brand is. I don't want someone just to, you know, it sounds crazy, but I want them to be invested. I want them to actually like sandwiches. I like them to like what they're drawing, what they're working on. If they're proud and happy with what they're working on, 
then they're going to basically share it and they're going to want to tell people right. about it and they're going to be happy to be associated with my brand. Well, you can tell, right, when a design is like if you go to a Fiverr or something like that, not that there's anything wrong with yeah. that, but if you go to something like that and someone's just knocking out 13, 14 logos for you Correct. for $10, um, there's very much a difference you can see mm-hmm. in the design when somebody's really invested in something. Correct. And somebody's really taking the time to be thoughtful and to translate exactly what that vision is. Exactly. And I think that's super important because when they when you care about what you're doing then you're you're willing to take the, do the little extra details and the mm-hmm. little extra the little extra touches. And those little extra touches I think are what people tend to appreciate and tend to notice. Um, perfect example, like you have the Lunchbox All-Star. The the Lunchbox All-Star is inspired by the Converse um, design. Logo, yeah. Now, if you look at the stitching Usually there's stitching on the Converse things, but if you look at the stitching of the shirt, it's actually little pickles um, that make the stitching around the circle. So it's the little things like that that I think, you know, take your brand to another level and kind of show people like, wow, this person's not like just making sandwich shirts. He's actually like obsessed and he's taking it to another level. So you you want to show your obsession? Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. Where did you start when it came to defining your brand? So obviously the the concept of the word brand, I guess, or from, you know, I studied marketing at UCF and everything that I read, like I, I obviously, my big thing was, and I guess we'll go with, we'll talk about side hustle to the brand idea. The the side hustle is is a very, uh, I guess it's the hot term right now sure. for what everyone likes to use for it. But in reality, to me, it's like, it's my other full-time job. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, and it's, it's, I call it a side hustle just because of the fact that everyone else calls it that. However, in my world, like this, it's really my passion project. It's really what I want it to become. I want it to become my full-time thing, not my side thing that I do on the side because I have a full-time job. And it's one of those where, so in that sense, that's why I kind of would say, yeah, it's on the side because it's not predominantly, you know, it's not funding my home or paying my mortgage, but it's something that I wanted to. Um, and so... In that aspect, it's definitely, I call it my passion project uh, more than anything because it is my passion. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then the idea of the branding aspect of it, it you know, idea, the idea of branding is obviously you market it, if people market, 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 um, you know, how people want to be seen or portrayed. But branding is really what people think, what, you know, at the end of the day, it's the people who call not really what make your brand or, or what they, how they call or perceive your brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, my big thing was, um, you know, and I'm, I am a big Gary Vaynerchuk fan. And like I read a book, there was a, there was a time in my life where I was at a cross path where I basically told my wife, hey, listen, I'm happy. I am I am I am I am very happy in my in my life in the sense of married life and like family life. And, uh, you know, and I have a good paying job and I have stability and all these things. I go, but I'm dying. I'm dying little by little every day in the lack of creativity that I'm able to use. And I need to find that outlet. Like, that's really where how it kind of went. And so when I went that route, I was like, what am I passionate about? What is it that I want people? What is it that I love? Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you said, you know, you kind of know a little bit of my back history, so I won't go. Yeah, I, we no, won't. but let's start because this is okay. a perfect segue for that. So you were at UCF. Yep. I went to, I went to UCF. Um, and when I went to UCF, I'm a, I'm a huge UCF um, Knights fan. So charge on. And, uh, and I know we're on Rollins Radio. So uh, totally but, fine. So. My big thing was I want I loved I had this idea for a shirt, um, and it was uh, during the time of wrestling was really big and NWO was huge, and I had this idea that it'd be cool to see a UCF version of that shirt, and I kept going to all these different places and telling all these like clothing companies like that that were like UCF clothing companies and say hey how come. You guys should make this shirt. I go, we'll even give you the, I'll even, I have a friend who even designed it. I'm like, I'll give it to you. Give I just want graphics. shirts. I just want I it. just want shirts for my friends and I. Just give me shirts for my friends and I. And everyone was like, yeah, it's a pretty cool idea. But yeah, no. And so I, one of my roommates was, he was like, why don't you just do it yourself? Why don't you just start a business and do it yourself? And I was like, uh, okay. And so like I talked. Come on, I, marketing major. Yeah. yeah. So I teamed up with two other people. <laughs> Two other friends of mine. One did more of the technical side, so he was like a computer engi- computer science person, computer engineering. Another one was accounting, and I was marketing. So together we kind of worked, and we created this small brand called Nightmare Apparel. 
And um, and I did everything legit. So I, I actually went to the collegiate licensing. I reached out to collegiate licensing, found out who was all the people that were licensed vendors or licensed the people. Mm-hmm. Did the whole thing and practiced and learned all of that stuff. Went and found like you know design. Came up with the design. We made the shirt. Um, it was an awesome shirt. I mean, it's cool when Dante Culpepper's buying your shirt for him and his family, you know, and stuff like that. And everyone, and it's amazing when I still see the shirt, you know, this is like 20 plus years now and people are still wearing this shirt around. I mean, it's, it's an awesome, it was awesome. And because of that, it kind of led me to then, Hey, I'm like, I'm tired of UCF not having, um, you know, clothing. Like no one has, there's no cool UCF clothes. Everything we get is generic. Mm -hmm. So we started kind of building from there and that's how I started really getting into the whole thing of like t-shirts. Um, I just love the aspect of it. I love the find the, the aspect that one, we live in Florida, we all wear shirts. Um, and two, the fact should that should be our uniform. It should. Yeah, it should. It 100%. should be. I mean, it's, yep. it's flipping hot out. Yeah. So the other aspect of it is I wanted something that, you know, I, I was really big into college sports and I hated when I would go and travel to all these away teams and everyone had these awesome shirts and I had a generic UCF shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we kind of, it just kind of became my thing. And I, and I had a full-time job. I basically started it my senior year at UCF and I had a full-time job and I remember working full-time, you know, and I would come home and my, on my apartment, really, really my room was just packaging stuff and I would just pack orders. And I was, I mean, this was at a point where, I mean, we're talking, when I say Dante Culpepper, I'm talking like 98, right. like this. So it was a long time ago, 20 years, 20 ago, years yeah. ago. Um, and so this was like when internet sales was be new. I mean, I was like one of the first like online, you know, like people were like, oh, I don't know if I'm, you know, feel comfortable buying, you know. So what I would do is I would we would create it. We would we tailgated at every game. We just set up a table and people would come up and buy from us mm-hmm. um, while we tailgated at the Citrus Bowl. And I loved it. I mean, it was literally was I loved it. I love I never thought of it as work. Um, and then it was the best time ever. And so that kind of what and I love the idea that I get to use my marketing degree because I did like HR. And so my, my day job never led me to a marketing job. Um, so I actually got to do use my degree in something. And so that kind of happened. And of course, the one thing you learn when it comes to college sports, if your team does well, then you sell well. If your team stinks, no one buys. Right. And uh, and I basically we ended up our, our goal ultimately was to try to become bigger than just kind of build into the brand and just you know, all we really wanted was free shirts. That's all we wanted was like cool. Started with, out that way yeah, and then became some shirts bigger, and then yeah. kind of go to make it bigger. And yeah. obviously then UCF became really bad. Um, and we ended up like shutting down the year where I think we were like three and nine. And then the next year we went winless the first time. And so it ended up shutting down and it's something that I loved. And then so when I fast forward back to telling my wife that there's something, there's this concept or there's something I want to do something that I love, you know, and this is like 15, you know, years later, I'm thinking to myself, what is it that I love? And I knew as much as I loved UCF, I did not want to go back to the UCF um, or college uh, merchandising. Didn't want to go back to that, but I still love t-shirts and I loved everything, the concepts about it. So then I just started thinking to myself, what is it something that I'm passionate about? What is it that I love? Yeah. And so you um, were looking for your own intellectual property, basically. Correct. So you didn't have to deal with anybody else in terms of partnering or getting permissions or any of those things. Correct. And I yeah. also didn't want it so, so niche because it being so niche, what happens? You only have one commu- one, you know, one really audience or one market base and that's UCF fans right now, obviously huge, great time to do it. Everyone's in a high right now, but just not, you know, it just would, it's one of those where it's too cyclical. It's not, it's, it's uh, not something you want to go back to. Correct. Too, yeah. Correct. So then I basically went with, what is it? You know, people always ask the question, if you won the lottery, what would you do? And so I really went back to that. Like, I really, really thought to myself, I'm like, if I won the lottery, what would I do? Sandwich. And it always went back to sandwiches. I love sandwiches. The only thing was I didn't want to open a restaurant. Like, I knew what a restaurant life would be. Oh, yeah. You know? So I didn't want to open a restaurant. So So you wanted to pay homage in a way. Correct. I wanted to pay. I call it the sandwich, the king of meals. And so I wanted to do something like that. And so... At the end of the day, I became, uh, I was a big fan at the time, uh, or still am, of Johnny Cupcakes and, uh, and, and his brand and what he does. And, and at the same time, I was in this crossroad and someone gave me the book Crush It, the first one, to read. And it talked about becoming like a subject matter expert and doing all these things. And so then I just kind of, I submerged myself into, you know, I love sandwiches. I want to I tell people, I want to share my love of sandwiches with people. Um, and then it just kind of started escalating. And then all of a sudden I'm like, well, why don't I do, I love clothing. I love t-shirts. 
why not do a sandwich inspired clothing brand? I mean, there's like two food, there's like two food network on television. You know, it's like the foodie foodie community is huge. Um, like I, I even though it's still niche, it's but in specific, it's still big enough where everyone loves a sandwich. You want more sandwiches in your life? You need more Deli Fresh Threads in your life. The shirts are always available on DeliFreshThreads.com. That's a good place to start. Biggie is on the social medias, and I would recommend at Deli Fresh Threads on Facebook. Lots of good content, including some helpful sandwich making tips. Deli Fresh Threads is still hard at work with new designs. Biggie is collaborating with Mama Sauce here locally. They're working on a new shirt. I can't disclose the topic, but it will be delicious and incredible looking. It will be delicious looking as well. If you order something, tell Biggie that Large Marge sent you. Then tell him that Nick sent you because he's not going to know who Large Marge is in this context. That's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. To a certain degree.com is the website you can go to if you missed any of this episode. Go there if you enjoy listening to stories from people in Orlando. Go there and subscribe to the podcast if you like. Do you have a successful side business and want to appear on a future episode of To a Certain Degree? According to our research, guests experience a quality of life increase of around 30%, and Nick only asks for 20% of that. No? How about 10%? 5%? A retweet? Thank you so much to my guests from today's episode, Jose Hanau, Kaylee Friend, Anthony Bencomo, Sam, and Marco DeGeorge. I have been Nick Jorgidiu. I will continue to be him. You are listening to WPRK 91.5 FM.